This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Queeros, Cameron here, and I just want to start by saying that I will be in Portland, Maine this week on November 2nd, and then in Boston on November 4th, and then in Providence on November 5th. I will also be in Denver from November 16th to 18th at Comedy Works. Information on all of that can be found at CameronEsposito.com slash tour hyphen dates, or just CameronEsposito.com and you'll figure it out. I would love to see you live. So many of you have been coming to shows lately, and it, and it really means the world to me uh, that you've been giving gifts and talking about how much you like Query. Thanks. It's just, it's awesome to get feedback. I also just want to start before today's episode. So for today's episode, we have the amazing Mary Lambert. Mary is, you might know her from the song Same Love, um, which was such a huge number one hit, uh, her collaboration with Macklemore, and it was a huge hit in 2014 when we here in the U.S. were fighting for marriage equality. And right now in Australia, they are fighting the same fight and it is, it has been the number one song in Australia of late. So Mary went down there to uh, play that song. And then I had a chance to see Mary here in Los Angeles. I will say that this conversation includes some pretty frank talk about sexual assault, not describing in full detail, but just being honest and open. So if that's something that doesn't work for you, I would just recommend joining us next week. Um, also, it includes a frank conversation about weight. And I even use the term overweight, which I thought again and again about taking out. But, you know, one thing that's true about this podcast is, you know, I've gotten some feedback from folks like, oh, Cameron, you are so <laughs> thoughtful before you respond, like maybe even overly thoughtful. <laughs> there are large gaps in and pauses on your end. So I just want to say this, like, it's hard to figure out how to talk to each other about... Um, vulnerable vulnerability. You know, it's hard to talk about things that we're shamed for. It's hard to know the right words to use. I try to be really conscious on this show because I want my guests to feel heard so that they can continue to tell their story the best way they can. That's also the reason that I often try to reach out and tell guests like, oh, I can relate to that. And here's why, you know, this isn't strictly an interview podcast. It's more meant to be a conversation between two people. And what I'm trying to do is give folks the platform to share who they are. So I am doing the best I can as a little dumb stand-up comic that was not trained in journalism. And it really means a lot to me to get stories out there and record what is essentially an oral history of our community. And I also want to add on that theme that one thing that has been challenging, not impossible, for this show has been figuring out how to book folks, because I personally came in with a mandate to myself that I would try to find people across the spectrum, um, both in 
how they identify gender wise, how they identify in terms of their sexuality, and then also in race and age and type of work that they do. But I will say that, you know, in order for someone to be on the show, it requires some time on their end and some time on my end. So this is to say that one thing that I am trying very hard to work on is upping the number of people of color that have been on the podcast because it just it just has happened uh, that some folks that I have booked have had wonderful things happen in their life and or just gotten too busy or they had to reschedule or I had to reschedule. So I just want you to know this isn't this hasn't come from any feedback. Um, I just want you to know because we are the same family in the same community that what my mission is to continue with the podcast is to f continue to not revisit just the same types of people, um, but to find as many different folks to talk to as possible. So thank you for bearing with me. You know, we only have one person we can talk to a week, so I'm trying. Um, and that brings me to my final point, which is really like the one sort of vector or descriptor that I just like don't have a ton of access to is youth. You know, I'm 36 years old and I don't know a lot of folks who are teenagers or in their early 20s. And so I just want to put it to you, the audience, if you know somebody who you think is a young person that I should talk to for query, if you will tweet at me at, at Cameron Esposito, I thought maybe we could crowdsource this. It's not all on you. I'm doing the work on my end too, but anything you can do to help out would be great. I would also say folks on the, on, um, the other end of the spectrum. So folks that are older, you know, I really have the most access to people in my age cohort. And so if you know somebody that you think would be great, I look at all your suggestions and please send them. Okay. That is a very long intro. Our longest intro to date on the show. Please enjoy today's episode. You rock. Well, hello. Thank you so much for being at my house at nine in the morning, uh, the day after a show. You know, on Query, I do a thing where I have guests introduce themselves. Mm. So will you say who you are? Will you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Mary Lambert. Um, I think I'm probably most known for doing the song Same Love. But uh, I'm also an activist and a body positive Ad advocate and uh, just an all-around great person. <laughs> <laughs> that is why I have people introduce themselves. It's so rad to hear like how people see themselves yeah. in their place in the world. I stand by everything you said. That's that's great. Thank you. Kim. Yeah, good for you for having such a high opinion of yourself. Because um, we should. You know what? Actually, that's a great place to start because I went mm -hmm. to see you last night here in Los Angeles. You were at the Bootleg Theater, which is a pretty intimate venue that I also have um, I've shot some stuff in there I've oh, shot cool. we shot part of Take My Wife season two in there which may or may not ever be seen by human beings no. but I know it was shot there but I'm gonna see it I'll, I'll send it to you personally <laughs> um, but it was so cool seeing you in a space where I mean you can like really see your face and stuff like that and you seem like you are having like an amazing time 
when you're performing. I love performing. I was just thinking of that. What's that quote in Chicago? Like Roxy Hart's like, I love them and they love me for loving them. I mean, I don't know, but yes, that's probably what it is. I should know. It's not only do I love musicals, it's literally called Chicago, which is where I'm from. Oh, wow. I can't believe I don't know the answer to that. It's just a, a great quote of like, I just love being on stage and I also love being able to facilitate something like being able to facilitate joy and like vulnerability um, up there and, and seeing the reaction and also ego, but (laughs) yeah, but the vulnerability part definitely showed through shown showed. I could see it. (laughs) (laughs) I could see you being vulnerable because, um, well, number one, you're like laughing and, uh, smiling and dancing, but like, dancing and it's a small stage so you don't have like full room to dance so there was like a goofiness to it but in a good way like where you were letting yourself have that if the performer's doing that then that kind of means that the audience can relax right too they don't have to be so self-critical totally i feel like that's my whole mo of like i think it's this is my flow chart of how the world should work lay it on me (laughs) i think that the way that the world is going to be a better place is through empathy and that's how that's what's going to save the world but I think you can only achieve empathy by um, real authentic connection and I think you can only achieve that with real vulnerability and I think that you can only achieve vulnerability when you have accepted the invitation and so what my what it feels like my job, what I'm supposed to do here on earth is to encourage vulnerability by putting the lens on myself because it's like, you know, you can't just yell at someone to just like show themselves. It's like sort of leading by example of like, this is my, you know, this is my shit. This is my baggage and I'm a complex human being and I have, you know, X, Y, Z trauma and I also am having a great time and I can be all of those things at once. Where are you coming from? And I feel like the response is always, um, it's almost always been positive. I mean, you get the people like you're, you know, if you read negative comments or something, but I, I just do my best to be like, this is a positive, this is a positive force and there's so much good happening. Everything that you just said there is antithetical to being a stand-up comic. <laughs> really, only because I feel like a lot of what um, stand-up is based in is like sort of controlling the way that you let people see you be vulnerable. So like instead of people just choosing when they laugh at you, a lot of comics are people who were laughed at early in life. Mm-hmm. And so instead of like, they get to choose when they laugh at you. You're like, I get to choose when you laugh at me. <laughs> and here's some other stuff about you that you haven't even thought of. You know, like, and it's very, um, like, especially the way that I do stand up is very, like, I'm very conscious of my body mm-hmm. and, like, my posture. And I get very, like, chest out, which is pretty, like, I don't know. It's, like, a strong stance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, like, deliberately stop moving so that. I'm just like rooted and so everything you're saying is sounds impossible to me. (laughs) I'm so, but it was, but I I could, it was beautiful to watch it because I, I thought it was so different than what I do. Also, I think it's really great to have like queer women that do both of the things that we're talking about because, um, 
because like oh not everybody is exactly the same it turns out (laughs) but please keep doing what you're doing we really need it thanks yeah you too i mean i feel like it's it was really important to have an accurate representation of what's actually happening Mm. i just remember like the only people that i saw on tv the only people that i understood to be like if you were gay you were like a hilarious like flaming gay man like that's what that's my idea of what being gay was or or just like you know you're on you're on a you know this old house or something right well right a flaming gay man that like probably isn't even played by a gay actor yeah totally it's probably like actually somebody doing like a caricature yeah absolutely um and that's not even on the actors that's just like what was asked for absolutely yeah we're in a different place we're in a different place cool and i think for i mean i have no idea i really don't understand fully what i have some friends who are musicians but i don't fully understand what the music industry Mm. wants from you do they want you to be out and saying the stuff that you're saying on stage i have such a weird experience than most of the people that i know because uh, i got invited to do same love so it was like and that was like the first thing I did. And I was like playing venues to like five people. How, how old were you when I that was happened? 22, 23. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was applying to graduate what? school to be a teacher. I was going to be a music teacher. That was like my path. And I had just got my bachelor's of music composition. So I was doing more or- orchestral symphonic work and planning on being this, you know, like a middle school music teacher and I was like, you know what? I should try. I should just spend a year performing and seeing if this is my path. You know, it would be a disservice to not try. <clears throat> and um, so I, I just like kind of decided I was going to bartend and be in the food service for a while. And I, um, and then, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. And then. Um, Seattle's a very like collaborative community of people that I I think just like care about each other. And I had a friend Hollis that was like dug my spoken word. I was doing spoken word at the time too. And I was, I was really exploring being like a Christian lesbian and what being in that intersection really meant. And um, she just really, she liked my work and she had started working with Macklemore and Ryan and, um, they were stuck on this song for gay rights. And she's like, I got this girl, like you got to hear her. But I mean, it was after they tried everybody else. <laughs> it was very much like a last resort situation, but it, it was, it was supposed to happen. I remember when I listened to the track, I was like, holy shit. Like I, I've never heard my story in a song and to be able to write it, I just felt like the weight of, of like, like the gravity of how important this could be or was going to be. And I was like, I have to, I can't let, you know, I can't let this down. I can't let the potential of what this could do down. And so they sent it, like, I didn't know them. I never met them. They sent it to me at 2 p.m. And then Hollis was like, can you get in the studio at five to lay something down? And I was like, uh, yeah. So I wrote, I wrote what I wrote in like a couple hours to just, I wrote four different choruses because I was like, they're going to use me. I'm going to make sure. <laughs> wow. And then I recorded it that night, and that's the track year. Seriously? Yeah. It was really, really bizarre. And I remember, like, 
I also had this like nagging feeling when I got the call from Hollis that I had, I had attempted suicide like, uh, a couple years prior to that. And there was a nagging feeling in the back of my head that was like, you got, you're supposed to do something. And, and I was like, fuck you voice, you know, like I, I want this over. And at that phone call from Hollis, I was like, Oh, here it is. Oh, great. I'm glad I'm still here for this. You know? I'm so glad you're still here too. Wow. So I have many follow-ups. Part Please. of which part of which start with uh you were in a Christian lesbian space, you said. Mm-hmm. Where where did that come from? I was Upbringing? raised I was raised Pentecostal, um, which was really terrifying. Um and then my mom fell in love with a woman. And then we were going to drum circles. <laughs> like, so it was a very extreme of being like, you know, sort of ostracism and the harsh like um, tenets of, of, you know, almost psychotic fundamentalist Christianity. And then Tracy Chapman. And, and so like... And fast cars and things yeah, like that. exactly. But then when I was in high school, I rediscovered my I think my religious upbringing and I I started going to this church that was more evangelical and I just really loved their music and I loved uh I loved that people were so passionate about Jesus and I was just like this is great people are excited about something and I also deeply felt you know a connection to that and um and I made a lot of friends in the church and it really felt community-based and uh, the pastor was really funny, and there were people that were tatted up, and it was just a cool, fun church, and um, and I loved it until the one sermon where uh, he, Pastor Mark said, um, you know, we love gay people, we want gay people here, but do know that if you participate in homosexual activities, like you, you are going to hell, and that's just a fact, you know. And I remember just like feeling like I got hit by a bus of like. Oh dang! Like I was starting to have feelings for for girls, and um, and so I kind of was like, okay, I gotta stop this. Um, and then I started falling harder, so it was like getting more and more difficult to attend church. And at the time, I was going, <laughs> I had, I spent like four hours at two different churches every Sunday because I just loved church so much, and I loved singing, and I just loved I loved it. Um, and so I started staying after and this was like when I was in a really dark time and I started staying after church and just crying just like almost wanting to apologize to God of like I'm sorry I'm this way because I think I started accepting and knowing that I couldn't be anything different than what I was so what I decided what was going to be the best case for me in heaven (laughs) here's my case is like I'm going to repent every day and I'm just going to apologize to God and explain that I can't be any other way. And like when, and I was 17, so I'm already like feeling like a freak in my body and everything is terrible and <laughs> just complete shit show. And to also have the mental, you know, fuckery of, of that kind of, that brand of Christianity was really difficult. And, um, and I think I just, I started, I started going to church less and I started being more present with my, um, my affinity with God and my relationship to that. And also 
just realizing like if we believe innately that like humans are flawed and like every everybody's a sinner and and you know and god is the only perfect thing and and you know in christianity jesus is the only perfect thing if we if like that's the belief system and we also say that scripture is like written you know it's it is the word of god but it's also written down by holy people which were all white men that was also translated by more white men with also you know belief systems of that time that were culturally relevant i just i have a hard time believing that there aren't um that there isn't elasticity to the bible and so having somebody just be like this is this is concretely the way that you know this is this is this very dogmatic way of like relating to the universe and like when we die and um, how to live. It just felt so stale and incorrect and actually harmful for a lot of people and their identities. And um, so I found, I still, I identify as Episcopal now and, um, and that's sort of my journey on that. (laughs) (laughs) I can, well, I don't. I have no idea if you. I mean, I had. I did not know that about you. Mm. So I actually uh, was raised really Catholic, and then mm. I was super into it as mm-hmm. well for a lot of the similar, a lot of similar reasons. Not not music because I don't understand music literally at all. <laughs> um, but uh, I did like singing in community. I think I really just enjoyed the sort of feeling of like this is going to sound so much like I live in Los Angeles, but I do like just like sharing, you know, molecules and breath yeah. and. There's a real feeling to that. I have found that, um, like, I thought I was going to maybe be a priest for a long wow. time. Even though you can't. I was a theology yeah. major in college. I lived no, in Rome you, no for a little way. bit. No way, really? Yeah. I didn't so know everything that. you're saying, I super can relate to. Mm. And I also, you know, then it's like you and I reading the Bible. And first of all, I mean, there's so many layers to what you're talking yeah. about. First of all, that we believe it was white men who wrote the yeah. Bible. And it is white men who, like, translated the Bible. Yeah. And it's also like brown men who wrote it that we yeah. never even talk about. Wow. And it's also like yeah. cross-cultural. Yeah. There's, and it's also written at a time when um, we needed to continue our, our species. Yeah. yeah. So like you had to have, so women were actually vessels yeah. for children because like we were going to die yeah. out because yeah. <laughs> like 35 was old or yeah. whatever. Um, and I mean, not old, like dead. 35 was dead. <laughs> uh, Which is essentially the same now. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm 36. So like, can you believe it? Wow, you made it. I know. Um, and anyway, so yeah, you're reading things that are like beautiful stories yeah. meant to give us hope and also scary stories meant to scare the shit out. It's the same stuff that we have on television now yeah. is like, it's like American horror story and the fosters. <laughs> That's the Bible. <laughs> totally. And it's uh really bizarre to grow up in a, an environment where adults believe the Bible literally, yeah. because I found that when I be cha- when I like cross the threshold from child and, and teenager to yeah. adult, I was for me, the like immediate mental leap in my worldview was, yeah. okay, this is like definitely, these are definitely 
this is like a morality play that's supposed to keep us having babies Mm -hmm. and like potentially not killing each other but killing each other if we deserve it kind of a thing (laughs) and it just felt so you know obvious to me and then especially in the catholic church i don't really know what it's like in the pentecostal church but Mm -hmm. maybe this is true like Mm -hmm. in the catholic church then you start realizing how much wealth is associated with the catholic church Mm -hmm. and you start realizing that like probably the you know 72 year old dudes who live at the vatican like maybe don't believe this literally but it's really a great way to maintain their the property that they own yeah absolutely by telling other people that this is literal like for instance the reason that um priests can't be married Mm -hmm. in the catholic church Mm -hmm. is because many many generations ago the catholic church didn't want sons to inherit church property so they stopped priests from getting married so that Whoa. they couldn't create sons. I didn't know that. You know so much. Well, I'm this just... This is amazing. I'm just saying, Anytime like, I'm in an interview, I'm like, do you want to talk about theology? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, when you realize that, when yeah. you're like, oh, this is the same thing as everything, which is about power and money and yeah. like keeping this certain type of person in the ruling class, like once you realize that, then you go, okay, so what's my relationship with other people? What's my relationship with spirituality? Yeah. And then, if you happen to be somebody who's a performer, yeah. you kind of create church yourself, which yes. is exactly what you were doing last night, yes. now that I think about it and know more <laughs> totally. about you. Totally. that To me, it does feel like a, it's, I call it like shame, shame-washed church. Yeah. Where you're just like this, all of this shit that was ascribed, like, is, I'm, I'm letting go of this. Like, this needs to be off of me so I can live an uninhibited life. And, I mean, you also talked about this last night a little bit, but just because that shame wash, I've never heard that before. Is that you? Or is, um, have, you have you heard that somewhere else? My, one of my mentors, Tara Hardy, she introduced me once and it was like a page long, most beautiful introduction. And I was like crying so hard backstage as she's reading this. And she was like, Mary, Mary's shows are a shame wash. And I was like... That is like I'm so honored, and I'm definitely using that. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's yeah. really great. I love it, like a car wash. Yeah. I think of it like a car wash. <laughs> uh, it's just praises. Yeah. You mentioned about body positivity at the beginning, and then you were also talking about it last night. And I have to say, I am patrolled on the internet for so many things, mm. but I'm not usually patrolled for my size because I'm mm. not in overweight person i'm Mm -hmm. like pretty small yeah um how often is that a part of your life oh it's it's constant and i think i think maybe less so for me than other people because i'm so also is it like over what is the thing what should i I say i say i say fat but i feel like that's like because i'm a fat person i can say that i honestly don't know what is like acceptable for other people i also really enjoy plus size as a term because i think that it's only in reference to clothing right and that is my feeling of me being different than anybody else is that i have to go to a different store which is still fucked up but like the fact that that uh, is fucked up yeah but it's also right now a good descriptor yeah so, no that's I, I mean that's rad yeah and also like uh 
I'm not shamed for this now, but mm-hmm. when I was a child mm-hmm. and people couldn't figure out what was going on with me. Yeah. Because uh, they were like, this person is gay, but nobody I knew was gay. Right. So they didn't understand what, what to call me. So as a child, I was constantly called fat, which is wild because Whoa. then you carry that in yourself. And like I developed a really intense, terrible eating disorder. Whoa, dude. And it was just that I was gay. Like, I mean, I just mean like the disconnection that I still have from my body based on Whoa. what other people perceived like this other thing right so i go to a show last night and i'm watching you talking about your body in mm-hmm. a positive way even as somebody who takes up space space on stage that's like something i'm like sort of dabbling with talking about in stand-up yeah, right it's especially weird because like i don't know that people would look at me and assume that that's true right you know totally. and um so i thought it was really rad that you're just like speaking about it and, like I said, this is people talking to me, like, on a one-to-one basis. This is not, like, cold from strangers on the internet. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I have the, the, a better end than a lot of the people it, that are in sort of the fat activist community, where they're constantly patrolled for their size, or that it's like they're glorifying obesity or something. Um, and I don't, I'm like, what is glorifying obesity? Like I, Lindy West is one of my favorite writers and she's she's, incredible. She's amazing. And especially the way that she writes about fatness is like, um, like what do people like, what, what do they want? What do those people want that are so angry that, you know, we want to wear crop tops and things like that. I, I really feel like it, it has to do with shame. It has to do with like, you you were told that you couldn't do something or you couldn't be somebody. And so that is your lens of the world. So when you see somebody living unabashedly and being themselves completely and embracing that, I can only imagine how infuriating that is. Because you're like, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. That's not healthy for you. But I mean, then you, the complexity of, of like even health as a concept of like, health is such a loaded thing that has so many different like, concepts to it and fat itself is like like are we just talking about lipid tissue like like there's so it's everything is so charged with many different meanings and I think um I one of my favorite things she says I'm gonna butcher what she says but it's like uh it's like they want you in a in a black in a black muumuu in in the basement like counting almonds like like <laughs> never going outside yeah. you know and like that's what like fat people should feel bad all the time like about their bodies or sort of the uh, the alert like s- like people just being like you're fat <laughs> like i know like i move through the world i'm reminded of it every day but i think um for me that like that's sort of my path of like visibility of like how if, if any of my music videos that are romantic, I'm going to be in the center of that, not just because I have an ego, but also because I think it's important to shatter this narrative that like um, when fat people are in romantic situations, that it's a comedic tool, which yeah. drives yep. me nuts. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, when is the when is the last scene you've seen someone my size in a like in a romantic, positive like sexy way like it's so few and far between like I can't I can I can't think of it well and then also and first of all that is 
also really rad because you do write so many romantic songs. So it's not just like being in the video. It's also yeah. the content of the song right. I think is unusual for what our culture allows for fat people to say and talk about. But right. then that also on top of that, um, adding like being a woman or a trans person mm-hmm. or a woman of color or a queer person or like all of those once you get to the intersection mm-hmm. of everything mm-hmm. um i also think you know especially for women it's about like we're we're our value is in how fuckable we are to yeah. cis straight white dudes like Absolutely. that's our value right so a, f- a fat woman yeah is throwing away her value and the same way that and that's like, absolutely true in the same way that like <laughs> right right yes well in the same way that like um yesterday i posted a picture of ria mm-hmm. and a picture of this album this katie lang album that we were listening to oh i did see that and they just like are in the same pose right <laughs> and i wrote like like I've married Katie Lang or whatever. And the number of people that came in to defend Rhea that were like, hey, it's not a bad thing to look like Katie Lang. Then I realized like how, you know, as queer people, we have this internalized homophobia. Again, it's like our value is in being fuckable to men. So I am actually going on the internet to insult my wife by being like, my wife looks like Katie Lang. Yeah. Like that's what what people think (laughs) I'm doing. Wow. When I'm like, wait, this is like actually... A queer icon. What does that say about you? Yeah, like, <laughs> like Katie Lang is hot. Yeah, and also like maybe you're too young and you don't know that Katie Lang and Cindy Crawford like blew the fucking doors off the place yeah. doing a like a face shaving. No, thing. I didn't know Are that. you too young? Yes. Oh my god, I'm going to show you a photograph. <laughs> um, but anyway, it kind of falls in the same category of it's not just loving. I mean, it, it is loving, your, like you're saying, it's like mm-hmm. loving yourself and accepting yourself. Yeah. But then obviously, especially if you're a woman and you mm-hmm. love yourself and you accept yourself. Yeah. And you're also not allowing yourself to be judged by whatever Patriarchy. normative, patriarchal yeah. beauty standards. Look totally. at this. <gasps> what? This is amazing. <laughs> There's also... How, why is this also, not on my wall? <laughs> they're also like on the cover that's amazing. Cindy Crawford is shaving Katie Lang. That's hot. It's super sexy. That's great. Anyway, so wow, I love it. Thank you so much I'll for bringing that. Don't to worry, my life. I'll don't worry. I'll just DM you pictures of the two of them really for the like rest it. of time. Wow. <laughs> um. So, do you feel like because this is something that you talk about, are you like in a hero position for a lot of people in this zone? Do you get a lot of comments from folks like at meet and greets, things like that? Yeah, most of my meet and greets are just people crying at me and I'm crying <laughs> back at them and we're just hugging each other. It's just like, like my, most of my life is therapy. <laughs> but I, I, I love, I, that's where I live. Like I, I am such a, like I'm a child born out of like intense trauma. My entire childhood is very abusive and um, I'm clinically bipolar and I'm like, and I'm also fat and I also grew up in the Christian church and I'm gay. Like there's just like, you know, I'm like survived multiple sexual assaults and I feel that it's so important to talk about it, but not just talk about it to be like, look at my wounds. Like, look at how sad I am to just be like, this is, this ties into my identity. It is not 
my full identity, but it, it is a part of who I am. And um, if I, if I, you know, ascribe shame to this and I carry this as if it's a weight or a burden, um, then that's a disservice to the community and every other person that's survived this. And what a better way to, you know, change the relationship to trauma by uh, the invitation of community, of like a shared experience. And I think that that's what's really amazing about like sort of the me too thing going on. That's like, you just, you know, people that maybe wouldn't normally have talked about their sexual assaults or their experiences being, you know, harassed, like just seeing the sheer numbers. Like we all knew, all women know like what that experience is. And like, but to, just to see it, the magnitude is like, holy shit, like this is, this is an epidemic. But I think what's like the most fucked up about it is that there's no, like who, is it, are these all just like mystery men? Like these are, these are people in our lives and the accountability is not there. So how do we start demanding accountability from, you know, from predators that, uh, you know, are often disguised as good guys or something, you know, and obviously there's so many more complexities of like, you know, the feet, it being only a female experience and, and men being the only predators. Like I understand the, the complexity of that. And there's far more, yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of different people that have been, abused and assaulted in many different walks of life. But I think that, um, the, you know, the feminine experience and the, the being a, a woman, I don't know, is, uh, it's, it's unique in its oppression. Well, yeah, I think what you're talking about is the systemic, um, so, Right. Yes, human beings are human beings and our experience is so varied and it is not necessarily only the systems mm -hmm. that exist around us. But obviously when there are systems, those have consequences. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody that's like cultured female, mm -hmm. um, I think there's a, there's like a pleasing element mm -hmm. and an unsafety element and like I mean this is going to be really serious ready it's currently 9.56 <laughs> I didn't know that I had been assaulted until somebody told me that I was assaulted right. because I described an event to them yeah. that to me I had almost my coping skills are in humor. Right. So I told a story that I thought was funny right. about a situation that had happened to me. And the person I told the story to was like, you have, you're describing sexual assault. And I was like, wait, what? And then I <laughs> thought about it and was like, yes, I am. Whoa. And so like, that's, I think that that's also part of this sort of like me too shift and yeah. also just having the president that we have right now. Yeah. And because it's like beyond 
it's so it's so deep and you're exactly right there are people we're taught to like relate to men as if we're taught to re- relate to like male cultured human beings mm-hmm. as if we have the same experiences yeah as if we were raised the same way yeah and we were not raised the same way no so that is what I guess we should be talking about. Yeah. Is like starting with the beginning. Absolutely. Even being able to recognize what's happening to us. Right. And obviously there are some folks who have had like such horrific experiences that they knew in the moment. I'm right. just saying for me and I think for a lot of women like I don't know. No, it's same it's the same for me. I was like I was 16 and I was like my friend was dating a guy in an army barracks. And she figured out how to sneak us in, in someone's car. And I didn't understand that it was, that an army barracks was a barracks of men. <laughs> and I was 16. So I walk into this apartment and it's literally like, it's um, probably like 20, 20 dudes, like all in their like mid 20s and 30s. And she goes off because she's going to hang out with her boyfriend and all of a sudden I'm in this room. And I'm like, okay. Situationally, this is very dangerous. Uh, I also am going to do what I need to do to survive in this situation, even though I feel uncomfortable. And I also want to be cool. So I'm going to drink. And so I had a couple drinks and then um, and then it kind of got fuzzy from there. But... Um, I, I remember, I mean, I don't want to, I won't go into detail about the entire assault, but like, I remember waking up being like, oh, I cheated on my boyfriend. And, um, and that was weird. Cause I was like, oh, I was on my period. Like I didn't, I didn't want to do that. But in my head I was like, uh, boys are, boys will be boys. <laughs> like, it was like, it was a very bizarre feeling of like, I put myself in such a bad situation and and yeah, I was drinking and yeah, I, I, you know, I guess I, I cheated on my boyfriend and, um, I think it only, I always, I described that situation, but I never had a name for it. And I felt like rape was like a man behind a bush with a knife. And I didn't realize that it could be so many things. And I think when I started saying that it, I also, I kind of was like, oh, am I taking up this space, you know, that is is not f- fair for me to take up or um, isn't, isn't accurate? Am I, am I being dramatic? Um, and then just learning that so many people have had that experience that um, was just devastating to me of like, how is, how is this a continual process? But of course, like I woke up the next day and I was like, not going to tell anybody who these guys were that did this to me. I was just, I was like, not going to see them again. And that was what I knew how to do. I was 16. What was I going to do? And I just, I just remember thinking of, um, how isolating and unfair it was that, 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 that situation happened to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, when it, when it happened to me, I was, um, I was at a college where, you couldn't come out as gay or you could be kicked out of school. Well, yeah, because so, like, you were doing seminary. 
So right. like I had well no, I, mean, no, I was seventy theology in my yeah college. but I mean I was I was just at a I was just at a Catholic college wow. I mean it wasn't like but at the time yeah um, so I had a girlfriend but she was a secret girlfriend that yeah. like her friends knew we were together and some of my friends like right. very few of my friends but I had like kind of public boyfriends wow because or like I wouldn't say they were my boyfriends but I just had men around right because. I needed some way to account for my time. Like, I literally didn't even tell anybody anything. I just, like, created this scenario where nobody had to ask. Right, right. You know, where I would just be, like, gone for nights. Yeah. And my roommates wouldn't be like, where were you? Wow. Because I had men in my life. Um, And so I look at, like, all of the factors, and it's also, you know, for queer people, the way that we're isolated specifically like the way that we are taught to keep our our true feelings to ourselves Mm -hmm. and the way that like our love is disgusting or something that can't be acted on or we're going to go to hell I mean there's also it's a compounding factor queerness is a is a compounding factor for the type of situation where like a predator can really thrive and even like a predator that doesn't mean to be a predator like right. is raised in a way where they're not taught to ask for consent and right. is raised in a way where like women are sort of to be hunted or partners are to be hunted and right. like the friend zone and right. like all of these things that are like to be overcome like just <laughs> obstacles to be yeah, overcome this golden for challenge. this great love story yeah. that isn't happening yeah because <laughs> um, you're because that's like power and that has nothing to do with love yeah um yeah how are you coping with this today what do you do to like oh give yourself like like a like a to forgive yourself i guess because like obviously yeah you're 16 yeah you didn't do anything wrong yeah but if culture is telling you that you shouldn't be in that situation and you shouldn't drink totally what are you telling yourself I mean, I mean, currently there's, I've, I feel like I've done like years and years of work of realizing how it's almost manifested physically of like the anxiety where I've literally like right in the center of my chest and in my, in my like, you know, whatever the solar plexus. (laughs) Yeah, your solar plexus. (laughs) Where like, it was just always tight. I was always freaked out. I was always like like on edge and um and I think now we have a word for it it's called anxiety and um I I was just always feeling bad and I just always knew that I was a bad person and a bad thing and I just always listened to sort of the mean people in my head and I think once I I something just came to a head where my life was my life was on uh on a really downward spiral I was like uh, sleeping on my friends' couches and I didn't have a place to live and I would sleep in my car and I was doing a lot of drugs and I just, you know, the the will to live was dwindling and I was just living really recklessly and I was so miserable and I remember thinking, like, why me? Why did this happen to me? Like, how, you know, what what's wrong with me? And then realizing um, that, you know, my trauma is not my fault, but my... Um, the choices I make 
resulting from that trauma are is my responsibility and um and healing is is something i need to take control of and it is i i owe it to myself and i owe it to the people around me that i love to remain accountable regardless of what happened to me in my past and how can i still be good to the world and how can i still be good to myself even if someone has treated me as if i was um unimportant and not valuable and um how do i continue to value myself after something like that and so i started feeling a responsibility to to myself and my future of like okay i have to start retraining these mental patterns i think that's going to be the first step because if I'm just feeling bad all the time and I'm just having this like negative self-talk that's like you're a terrible garbage piece of shit, um, then I'm going to feel that way. And one of the things for me actually was um, I forget things a lot of the time and I, it's sort of resulted from trauma of like just kind of blacking out when things were bad. And I'll just forget. I, f- I, forgot, I forgot my keys. I lose things all of the time just because I can't remember uh, where things are. And I used to really shame myself about it a lot. I, the big thing I used to do is I would just lo- leave, leave my keys in the car. I would lock, lock the, lock my keys in the car. And that would happen probably like once every two months. And so I had AAA and AAA would open the car and, um, but it was starting to get expensive because I'd ran out of my AAA car calls. And one month I locked my keys in my car five times. And I, rather than being like, Maybe I should take preventative measures. I just, I was like, no, I need to learn how to remember my keys. I need to learn how to do this because this is, I'm, I'm bad at this. And it just kept happening. And, and I remember just being like, I'm creating this terrible disaster. I opened a credit card because I couldn't pay for having people open my car. And this like thought occurred to me was like, I, I'm, I'm forgetful and I'm absent-minded and I'm going to make, I'm going to make four copies of my car keys. And I gave I, like something just switched. So I like, I gave one to my roommate. I left like, I hid one at school. I gave one to my mom and I had a spare one in my purse. And I shit you not, I have not locked my keys in my car since then. <laughs> Like that's it's, amazing. It's like a mental thing where you're like, am I going to be kind to myself or am I, am I going to like continue, continually punish myself? And I feel like that's also like a, if it's like people with religious backgrounds, like I'm a terrible sinner. Like I must continue to punish myself. Yeah. Of like, how can you be kind to yourself? The second I did that, like I felt like the world opened up and all of a sudden the world wasn't out to, poop on me like (laughs) like the world was out there to like give me blessings and I needed to be receptive to that and I feel like that was sort of when things started switching for me oh that's I love that (laughs) I love that very much I also think that you know when you're somebody who was raised in and I don't know like your faith growing up no sex before marriage like for anybody was that kind of the same level of going to hell yeah yeah or is like or like gay sex, like a different hell, <laughs> like, like much worse hell. Like who, who goes to hell about yeah, sexuality? Yeah, absolutely. Gays. Okay. Gays yeah. go to hell the most. Yeah. Do straight people also go to hell if they have yes. premarital sex? 
Yes, but okay. I don't. I was. Va- I mean, all I remember from going to Pentecostal church when I was very young, because we we essentially went to church like three or four times a week, from when I was like born to when I was about six or seven, and that was also a time that I was being uh, molested by my father. So most of that time, I was pretty much blacked out, and um, going to church, I just kind of like it was just a scary thing where everybody was like speaking in tongues and it was just like shamba. <laughs> I'm like, these people are crazy, but I also wanted to speak in tongues. So I don't remember like much of the actual ideology. I just knew that it was weird and I knew the adverse effects on my mom and my family and sort of these internalized, you know, demons that I had that I'm still shedding, you know? Yeah. I just, I find that, like, for the faith that I was raised in, um, even if you're, even if you're one of the chosen straights, like those cool people, um, you're always at war with your body because your body is the enemy because your body wants a thing that, like, God doesn't want you to do, which is, you know, just thinking about, like, I have siblings who are straight that I actually almost sometimes feel... Like, I got to come out, mm-hmm. and I got to, like, say, like, fuck you. I, yeah. like, s- sexuality isn't just about sex, but also sex isn't gross and wrong. You know, like, mm-hmm. I got to, like, have all of that stuff shed. And yeah. then when you're somebody who also has, like, trauma around sex or is a survivor, then there's, it just is, like, it makes everything very complicated mm-hmm. until the moment where you where the dam breaks and you just go, like, wait, none of this is true. And, yeah. like... Sex is actually rad. Yeah. And like our bodies want to do it because yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. So till that like damn breaks and I feel like there's a lot of people who are raised with a really specific or restrictive faith that like the, I almost wish everybody was able to come out. Yeah. I wish everybody was able to feel yeah, like so that. at war with themselves. <laughs> so at war with their like the thing that they were taught that they could be like, oh, Wait. Yeah. This has to be incorrect because I'm not supposed to feel this bad. Right. Like, I can't actually be anything but this. Mm-hmm. I wish, I just, I wish that for straight people. I wish straight totally. people had to be like, oh, fuck, I have to be straight. Yeah. I guess all this is nonsense. <laughs> totally. Because you have to, like, in order to come out and really, like, there's so much self-reflecting and analyzing and observing the rest of the world and how the rest of the world is moving. And I think that's also true with gender identity of, like, okay, I don't really resonate with like girls wearing glitter and high heels. And I also don't resonate with, you know, masculine culture. Who am I? And I feel like there's so many people that don't fit in those, like those gender constructs of like how we're supposed to be. And I just wonder what, like, what would the world look like if there, there wasn't so much, like subscribe to each gender and so much like shit put onto it. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is, I I was thinking the same thing while you were speaking earlier, just about like, uh, because there, anybody who's like sort of living in a fearful place when it comes to the new awareness that, is in like the zeitgeist about gender non-conforming individuals mm-hmm. and uh, non-binary folks and trans folks and like that 
being scary, mm-hmm. especially for queer people, like like a lesbian that's just like, no, like we all, we know the word for this. Yeah. I'm not going to get too, too into this, but totally. the way that the, I mean, Rhea is somebody who actually, my wife, Rhea, <laughs> is actually somebody who's like really such a thought leader for me on this in our home right. because, um, you know, Rhea uses like she and they pronouns mm-hmm. and Rhea, Rhea and I have like the same length hair and <laughs> oh my God, does the world not greet us the same way? Wow. Because we are such different genders. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I look at all this and I'm like, this is going to, so I was, I, not that I was like, I wasn't, I didn't ever want things to stay how they were, but I have had the conversations with Rhea where I was like, what's going to, like, what is this going to look like? And Rhea was like, this is going to be amazing because right. what's going to happen is that like everything will perhaps be exploded a little bit more right. and like the chains that were hurting so many people yeah. and the binary that was like creating this female bodied experience of being scared and this male bodied experience of like shutting down all your emotions, like yeah. all of this stuff could fall. Totally. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with this because I also like, I think that it's so important for like non-binary folks and like gender non-conforming people to like exist in all of the spaces or none of the spaces. You know what I mean? But I, I, Jacob Tobias is one of my favorite people and, and they've been a big part of my like, uh, understanding of gender and Jacob's uh, I don't want to like say what Jacob's belief system is but I do think that for Jacob their understanding is that like gender's gender's over like j- like let's let's just be exactly who we are and not have to have you know um, painful surgeries to uh, like join these parts like let me just be exactly who I am and like live in that complexity and that be okay and for you to see me as I am but I also know the experience of like trans folks that are like I want to be in the binary I want to I want to be this I want the feminine constructs or I and you know trans men that are like I want to be in the binary in this way and I want to be affirmed in that way and I feel like there's just, there's so many experiences and there's so many ways to express gender that there needs to be space for everything. And I, because for me, I have like a big part of my merch is like, I have a shirt that says gender roles are gross. And so that for me was like, um, like this is over. We got to stop doing this. And um and then talking to some of my trans friends that were like, I, I like the binary. I want to be in the binary. I felt so uncomfortable in my skin. And now I, I'm, I get to be exactly who I am and I get to express that. And um, so, yeah, it's something I'm still like learning. Well, I think what you, know? you said is already right, which is just that like, First of all, as human beings that are not actually living an experience, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't get to tell other people what to do with their bodies. So, like, that's, I think, the first thing. And I think that, like, 
that's a thing that all queer folks should really agree on. Right. Um, because cis queer folks probably had the same patrolling dust done to us. Right. And so like, therefore literally the least we could do is to pass along <laughs> the same fucking courtesy of yeah. being like, it is not my job to tell you yeah. how to present, how to, what to do with your body. Yeah. Like that has, that is not my job. Yeah. Um, because anytime that we do that to somebody else, yeah. we make them subservient to yeah. our wishes. And yeah. like, who the, community the fuck loses. are we? we? All lose. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then on top of it, it's like, I guess what I'm saying is the space for different people to decide what's best for them mm-hmm. and talk about that or not talk about that mm-hmm. and live however they want to live. Yeah. I think makes everybody's lives better. Yeah. Right. Because like, of course that's true because this whole kind of narrative that we've been going through mm-hmm. over the last hour has been like, you know, do we need to sort of be ashamed and apologize? Mm-hmm. And if we could stop doing that, like would that create space for other people to not be ashamed and not apologize? Yeah. So like what I, I mean, I have always been like, I used to call it gender fuckage. Like yeah. I used to be like, I wear a suit on stage. <laughs> like that, when I started doing stand up, that was fucking radical, yeah. dude. Yeah. Um, totally. And so like, cool you know yeah. what i mean like so then people can wear a suit okay so then like then that means like oh my god maybe like a straight cis woman could wear a suit oh my god like maybe anybody could wear yeah, a suit totally. like oh my god you know that's yeah. that's kind of the exploding that i'm talking about is right. just sort of like i mean like oh my god you mary i don't know if you've noticed this you have like long hair <laughs> but you like women <laughs> that was my favorite i'd go to the lesbian bar and they're like do you know where you are? <laughs> I'm like, yes. So I just, I mean, like, it's rad, right? Yeah, we totally. just kind of all... Yeah, I'm still shedding my, like, my belief systems, too. Like, when I meet somebody that I'm like, oh, she's so gay, and I'm like, oh, my God, she has a husband of 20 years. And I'm like, when is she going to come out? And I'm like, have my own, like, narrative, like, that I'm already, like, projecting onto somebody else and being like maybe she's not gay. Like I'm like starting to finally let go of, of how I project onto other people. But, uh, that is something that I'm still working on. Oh, as a human being, do you mean you're evolving? That's shocking. (laughs) I can't believe you're not finished. I can't believe that when you like became immediately an overnight success at 22, the age of 22, (laughs) that you didn't like figure it out. They don't hand you a handbook. No, I want to talk about one thing before asking you a final question, which is that, uh, is same love currently number one in Australia? Yeah, it was like last week and it was like, it's, I think it's the only song to ever do that to like be number one. And then three years later, be number one again. It was so cool. That is wild. Yeah. Wild. Cause they are currently fighting their fight for marriage equality. So yeah. And then you went down there, yeah? Yeah, we sang at the National Rugby League finals. The f- what I mean, in the world? Yeah. It was insane. I mean, it was like 80,000 people. And to just be like, do you want us here? Because, I mean, it was the country's really, really heated. It's yeah. not, I feel like the, it's, um, I learned a lot about Australian politics while I was there. Um, but the, it's just a basic vote. They're not actually voting for for gay marriage it's like it's a poll to see if they would want to vote right it's like the vote to see if they would want to vote yeah yeah and um 
So the vote no campaign is like evil and they're putting, but they're putting so much money into it that um, someone I talked to that was like, had never had a problem, was holding hands with her girlfriend, was like, you know, she'd always felt welcome in, you know, in Sydney. I'm like, where were we? In Sydney. And since the vote no campaign has like really gained steam, it's it's really emboldened um, the opposition and people who are homophobic and people who are like incredibly misguided in their thought process. Yeah. Um, to she said she almost got ran off the road and she's been like she's had more discrimination and hate crimes with her and her girlfriend in the last two months than in her entire life and i i feel like that that's i feel like that's very paralleled in sort of american politics right now as well is like when you have a leader or it's politicized that it's that this is a fair debate or that like these are just two different sides, two different belief <laughs> right. systems. I'm like, no, this is not two different belief systems. You can like Iggy Azalea and I can have my feelings about Iggy Azalea. That's, that's a matter of opinion. This is not a matter of opinion. This is, this is a matter of what's harmful and going to kill people. Like this is, this is, this is a hate crime. And this is like, this is a, a heinous attack on humanity. That's not yeah, a difference I mean, of opinion. That's why it went through like the judicial system right. here as opposed to like to a an actual vote yeah. because it's cuz the way our system is set up like sometimes not that the right thing always happens but sometimes when the right thing happens it's cuz it's like thought leaders who actually are trying to look at laws yeah. that sort of like make the move and yeah. then people have to adjust to it. Yeah. Um, Cause like by the time marriage equality was the law of the land, 60% of people were on board with that, yeah. but that's not true when it became legal in Massachusetts 10 years prior. Right. And that's not true during the fight for prop eight in California. Right. And so it really is like sometimes how we've done civil rights in this country is like judges making the right call, human yeah. beings getting used to it. Yeah. I don't know what it would have been like if it was just like, should we vote on this? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, at the very beginning, yeah. you know, prior to like, that's a, that's a pretty raw fight. Yeah. I'm thinking about the people over there. I know it's, I know it's like happening right now. Like I think yeah. to, today or something like the yeah. closes. Yeah. I can't remember. But, um, hey, good news is yeah. you're relevant in Australia because <laughs> <laughs> they're fighting so brutally. They need really beautiful music. Yeah. It was so cool to just be like, this, here's your very clear vote. Yes. Like, yes. You know, same love going to number one it was just really cool. That is really cool. Because, you know, sometimes I'm like, did we, you know, I know there are songs in my life that have changed my life. And so I'm. I'm still adjusting to like the concept that this song might have been like that way for some people and to be like, okay, like this, this was something really cool that we did. And it was just a, a magical, mystical, like kismet time of how everything seemed to line up. And uh, yeah, it's really cool to see, you know, the song evolve and also like where, um, that it's back in Australia. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I would also say, 
I mean, I don't know, maybe you already think about this, but I'm so, I am so personally glad that you were a part of it. And I'm so grateful to you for being a part of it because, you know, something that I have sort of hit my limit of patience with is people outside of our community mm-hmm. being the ones who fight. We obviously need allies, totally. but like we also need to speak for ourselves. Right. And I think for me, it was so important when that song was on the when it was on every single <laughs> station constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so important that you were singing like in the first person right. because I think that like it's one thing to be on our side, and I love people that are on our side. Right. But it is, but it also dehumanizes us if we never get to speak for ourselves yeah absolutely so good job and thank you thank forever you. <laughs> thanks uh, yeah and in conclusion before i send you off to go camping and you're like in the bright bright sun right now because the sun shifted do I, do I look heavenly you number one you look <laughs> do i look like you an look angel? like an angel <laughs> number two are you so hot no i feel nice oh, i gotta get out of the sun i live in this city too much i hide from the sun i usually do too but this is this is like you're enjoying that beam okay good i'll I'll leave it i'll leave the sunbeam and not change the weather (laughs) um so i just want to ask you mary before you head out into the rest of your day if you have a queer oh somebody you want to shout out for um really helping you to have the strength to be the person that you are today yeah there's so many um I mean, I feel like it, I don't, my mom, like Great. my mom coming out when I was six and like being ostracized from the church and like, you know, still like suffering abusive relationships and coming out the other side and um, yeah, seeing this, seeing somebody who's, who really had to overcome a lot to be to express their identity was um, a big deal. Well, that's amazing. Shout out to your mom. Thanks, mom. Yeah. The other Mary Lambert. Oh, shout out to the other Mary Lambert. <laughs> and Mary, um, you're going on tour right now for how many weeks? Like three weeks. Okay, so this yeah. will come out like probably next week. Whoa. Maybe. So you'll still be out. Okay. Yeah. But at the very least, people should buy your music. Yeah. Because it's really important to support queer artists yes. so we can keep making our awesome stuff. Yes. So buy Mary's music. I'm go. trying to buy a house, please. Mary needs a house. <laughs> I I was going to say it. Uh, yeah. You need to buy a house, own property. It's really important to me that you own property. Thank you. So, so I can come visit. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Thank Thanks you so much. for having me. Yeah. listeners that's our show please remember to rate and review us on itunes you can follow me on twitter at cameron esposito we are recorded by matt brousseau produced by sierra Catow and feral audio our theme song is by aw and you can find them at listen to aw.com thanks for listening to query Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> 
Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.